We're not just going to win Dobbs with some like halfway measure where they uphold the 15 week law, but they don't overturn Roe and Casey. We're going to overturn Roe and Casey. Mm-hmm. And that means the court's going to return the abortion question to all of the Democratic branches of government. Welcome back to The Kevin Roberts Show. Thanks so much for making this show possible. If you are willing to do so, please give the show a five-star rating. And, you know, there's some other things I usually like to say, but we have a lot to talk about this week. And so I'm going to jump right to it and welcome my friend, our Heritage alumnus and the president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, Dr. Ryan Anderson. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be back to Heritage. It's great to see you sitting here in the Heritage studio. It's, uh, I, I sat here, it looked different when I was uh, last here, but yep. I've sat in this studio many times. Well, um, we usually <laughs> do this in jeans and boots, but you and I have to look like we're, you know, wear ties for a living in right, a while. Right. So maybe next time we'll next do that. Time. Maybe we should do that out where you live. Do you know the, um, I don't have any Texas boots. My only boots are like actual farm work boots. I don't, oh, I don't man. have you're, you're the fancy, I don't yeah. have the fancy Texas boots. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we, we can amend that <laughs> for the record. I've got work boots too. Those, those, those are my shoes on the weekend. But all of that aside, although that really is important because it gets to the heart of living life well, Hmm. thanks for being here and thanks for being for so many years a cheerful and yet great analyst of what's going on with American culture. And so we're going to talk about a lot of public policy issues. I want to talk about EPPC, which you're now leading. We want to also, of course, focus on the book that is coming out or is out now tearing us apart. So let's say that loud and clear. Ryan Anderson <laughs> has a new book that's that's out uh, with our, our friends at Regnery and Tom Spence. And we want to elevate that for you mm-hmm. over the coming months. But tell us about the thesis of the book and what prompted you to write it. Sure. So um, this is my fifth book. Uh, the previous four were written, you know, as a research fellow here at Heritage. So it's my first book uh, since um, since uh, moving on. But uh, what prompted us to write this, it's co-authored with Alexander DeSanctis, who's mm-hmm. a visiting fellow at EPPC and then as a staff writer at NRO. And to my mind is one of the sharpest kind of pro-life advocates, writers, analysts of her generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's probably a little over a decade younger uh, than I am. So maybe and you're just 25. Right. So maybe we're in the same, maybe we're in the same generation. <laughs> um, but what we could do is we could count to five. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew Dobbs uh, oral arguments were December 1st. This is probably October, November we could count to five. We're like, we're going to win Dobbs. Um, and the uh, uh, Solicitor General of um, uh, Mississippi and the Attorney General had asked the court to overturn Roe and Casey. We're like, and we're not just going to win Dobbs with some like halfway measure where they uphold the 15 week law, but they don't overturn Roe and Casey. We're going to overturn Roe and Casey. Mm-hmm. And that means the court's going to return the abortion question to all of the Democratic branches of government, not just to the states. I think it's a misnomer when people say they send it back to the states. The federal government's going to have to be involved executive agencies. I also think there are future court cases um, that should be litigated. Right. Uh, and we can talk more about that. But so sure. more or less, it's going to be now a, a question of public uh, persuasion. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to persuade our neighbors to vote the right way if there are ballot referendums on life to elect the right representatives who can now vote the right way. Um, you haven't been in D.C. that long, but I'm sure you know it uh, even from your short time here. There are a lot of people who get elected saying, I'm pro-life, I want to overturn Roe. And then when they get to D.C., they don't want to touch the issue. I've like, observed that as a lifelong pro-lifer. Yes. And and now, I mean, like they're not going to have the cover of saying, well, I oppose Roe v. Wade, but there's nothing I can do because of the Supreme Court. Supreme Court gets rid of Roe. All of a sudden, everything's on the table. Yeah. Um, and so what we wanted to do, there hadn't been a prominent pro-life book uh, published that we could find in over a decade. 
yeah. um, that would really just do be a kind of fresh presentation of the argument for life. Um, that would also be comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the subtitle of the book, uh, so it's tearing us apart, how abortion harms everything and solves nothing. And we wanted to point out that everything abortion has touched, it has touched for the worse. It has made it better it, or worse. It has harmed everything. And then it hasn't made anything better, right? Yeah. All the things that they promised abortion would actually be a solution to, it hasn't been a solution. It's only made those uh, institutions, those individuals, those aspects of American life worse. And so systematically, chapter by chapter, Alexandra and I go through harms to the unborn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the focal harm, right? Every abortion kills a human being made in the image and likeness of God. Um, and we go through then all the objections, you know, the people who deny it's a human being, you know, they, 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 they somehow think it's, you know, some other biological entity is growing in the mother's womb. Then the people who are more sophisticated, like the Peter Singer style argument, mm-hmm. oh, sure, it's a human being, but it's not a human person, right? right? And it's speciesism, akin to racism and sexism yep. that treat our species better than others. And you know, we reply, explain why that's not an ism, that there's something different about our species mm-hmm. because we're rational animals, we're personal animals, we're made in the image and likeness of God. And then we reply to, you know, the arguments about you're imposing morality, mm-hmm. separation of church and state. It's no more theological to oppose fetal homicide than it is to oppose adult homicide. Yeah. And so if you want to claim that this is like the illicit legislation of morality, well, why is it not illicit when we say uh, you can't kill you or me? but you can kill our unborn children. Yeah. It's, and knowing you, just, just a brief interjection, yeah. Ryan, for, for our audience to know, this isn't a book of talking points. No. This, this, is, <laughs> this is a book of social science, of philosophy, of policy, and, and, and knowing your spirit, that is you want to persuade people yes. with the greatest version of charity and love, that it, it's probably going to be persuasive for some people to read this, or at least for those people who are buying the book, very likely to already be pro-lifers, it'll be a tool for them to use in this post-Roe world. Last thing I'll say is we're recording this yeah. and the Dobbs decision's not been rendered, but we're days away. Mm-hmm. And, and probably most people who watch or listen to this episode will be watching this once the decision has been yeah. rendered, because we're, we're now down to days. And, and you and I are both assuming is that all of us at Heritage are, all of our pro-life colleagues, that this is going to be a massive win. Yeah for the pro-life movement that's gotten lost in all of the, the media coverage about the leak. The leak. Obviously the, the appropriate media coverage, albeit limited on violence again, or presumed vi- violence against Supreme court justices, all that to say someone gets to the end of your book. Yeah. What do you want them to be doing? I want them to be doing whatever, um, given their particular vocation in life, mm-hmm. they can do to persuade their neighbors to be pro-life, mm-hmm. to enact laws protecting unborn babies, to enact policies supporting mothers to choose life, supporting mm-hmm. family formation, supporting fathers to be involved in the lives of their spouses, hopefully, if not at least girlfriends, their children, mm-hmm. um, and then to build on a culture of life. Right? I mean, yeah. and, and there's so much to be done there. I mean, so some people could be doing the legislative battles to prohibit abortion. Mm-hmm. Other people could be working on family policy issues. Other people could be working on things like I mean, your home. Uh, it's not your home state because you're actually adopted in Louisiana, state, but your yeah. adopted home state, the Texas Alternatives to Abortion Program. Yeah. Right? I mean, everyone knows about the heartbeat bill because that's what the media focused on. Mm-hmm. The media ignored the fact that Texas allocated an additional $100 million to the Texas Alternatives to Abortion Program. And we can walk and chew gum at the same time, yeah. um, addressing the people killing the babies, but then also empowering mothers to choose life, to give them actual alternatives. Um, I think everything we've seen in the past month with attack after attack on pregnancy resource centers puts the um, uh, uh, a lie to the claim that the other side is pro-choice. Yeah, All pregnancy resource centers do 
is assist women who voluntarily come to them in need seeking assistance. And here you have volunteers, largely, it's not, you know, well-paid staffers, it's volunteers donating their hours, people donating money to keep the lights on and the doors open. And then you have the pro-choice side, firebombing some of these clinics, graffitiing them, now promising that it's going to get worse. I mean, yeah. we're recording just yesterday was when the Jane's Revenge uh, mm. uh, letter was, uh, was, was published. Um, so there's a role for all of us, right? Because some yeah. people, it might be volunteering hours. Other people might be donating money. Some people might be working in the public policy realm. Um, and then a variety of policy issues, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, but then the other thing I would say is that the primary audience for the book um, is going to be people who already agree with us or people who are, you know, open-minded on the fence. Mm. And it's meant to equip those people to then have the conversation with the person who's not yet with yeah. us. Right. And, you know, we only got through the first chapter. I mean, it then goes through, you know, and we don't have time to go through chapter by chapter, but how it harms women, how it yeah. harms people in the peripheries of life, um, uh, uh, sex selective abortion, lethal right. discrimination against people with disabilities, um, elevated uh, rates of abortion for racial minorities. It's, it's more dangerous to be in the womb in New York City. More black babies are aborted uh, than born. How it's harmed medicine, how it's harmed politics, how it's harmed the law, and then how it's harmed culture. And so it's really meant to, you know, empower uh, a pro-life reader to then be a pro-life activist yeah. in whatever way their vocation calls for. And not everyone has your vocation and my vocation. Like this right. is, you know, kind of, um, uh, you and I are the oddities, right? Most people are going to be at, the PTA meeting, the little league game, the summer right. picnic, and the issue comes up. I want you to be able to give a charitable, reasonable answer yeah. to the question someone might have. No, it's, it, it's so important. And, and I'll just key in on one of the examples you mentioned of the pregnancy resource centers. Yeah. You, you make a really good point that you want this book to be, to equip people to, to do something, however small. And I think because of the media coverage about the imminent decision about the leak, about the, the attempted violence on at least one justice. What's lost in that is the opportunity that pro-life people have to build a genuinely pro-life culture. And, and the historian in me and lifelong pro-lifer looks at the last 20 years of the pro-life movement. And I think one of the things the leaders of the pro-life movement, yourself included, can be proud of is that the movement's gotten better at focusing on women. Pregnancy resource centers, this is the point, are perhaps the best example of that where you know, the whole concept of firebombing a pregnancy resource center reveals so much the evil of some on the other yep. side, because as you said, these are volunteers. These are not at all activists. I mean, yeah. you and I know pro-life activists, good people too. Yep. These are not pro-life activists yep. in these centers. These are people to, to sort of come to the question here for you, Ryan, who really are in their simple way contributing to civil society. And that's really the larger problem, right? And you've, you've been eloquent on this over the years too, which is the deterioration of institutions of civil society right. that would allow us to put government in its proper role and we wouldn't even have to be doing the right. policy work we're doing. This is the question. Are you optimistic that once Dobbs happens and Roe is overturned, that Americans will step up to the plate, so to speak, right. and right. actually participate in building this post-Roe culture? Um, Yes, although I'm going to tweak your question. Father Newhouse, I worked for Father Newhouse right. when I was at First Things, and he always said, you know, optimism is a matter of optics. I'm hopeful because <laughs> hope is a theological virtue. Uh, and so I'm hopeful. Uh, and and, I, and it, this is not kind of like false hope or, you mm. know, be, being Pollyannish. Um, I think the American people are very generous people. Yeah. Um, and they're very self-sacrificial. 
uh, people. Might, that might just be another way of saying generous. But yeah. um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, there are people who want to make a difference right. when it comes to assisting young families, when it comes to assisting women in need. Um, I mean, Anna and I, my wife and I, we know three different young ladies. We were friends with them who have now entered the Sisters of Life. Right. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned the pregnancy resource centers mm-hmm. and those are volunteered people, um, you know, giving up of their time or their money here, people giving up their entire lives mm-hmm. to serve women in need. Um, one of, uh, my wife's bridesmaids is now a sister in the sisters. Of you talk about some optimistic women. Yeah. Hopeful, yeah. hopeful. Yeah, I'm I mean, sorry. You know, hopeful. Doctor I mean, in this case, <laughs> I mean, even more so, because I mean, like, if you think about it, like they, it's the gospel of life, right? I mean, this is yeah. John Paul II's encyclical that's now inspired. It was Cardinal O'Connor who was the founder of the Sisters of Life. And they're dedicating their entire lives to building a culture of life, mm-hmm. right? And, and also I think this is important to see there's a, a, a policy role here, a legal role. There's a huge cultural and spiritual yeah. role here. I mean, because I, I think, you know, we're not just dealing with kind of like material forces. There are also spiritual elements in the life battle. And, you know, Sisters of Life are praying for these women they're running homes to house women, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, and for several years after the baby's born, it's not as yeah, if like that's a, right. the, the worst lie, it's a slander that the left says, you only care about the baby while the baby's in the womb. And as soon as birth, women and children are on their own. Yeah, It's not true in a policy perspective, uh, just, you know, t- we're filming just yesterday was when Romney released his plan mm-hmm. uh, um, to support families with, you know, a pro-work, pro-life, pro-family bill, but then also it's not true on a cultural level. Yeah, um, And so- Yes, I'm both optimistic and hopeful that the American people are, are, are up for it. Yeah, well said. So I, I want to switch gears slightly, although, of course, we could talk for hours about what you were just discussing. And I want to talk about the influence of big tech sure. on getting our message out, because I think you, of all people, can look <laughs> into the future and say, man, it may be difficult for pro-lifers to get the message out. But you also, of, of all of the conservative authors who've frankly been victimized by big tech, you, your most recent book before this one was taken off the Amazon platform. Do you anticipate something similar happening with this book, given how vitriolic the other side and their accomplices in the media have become? Yes. And um, <laughs> not only do I anticipate, it's already happened. Yeah, so I don't okay. know. I haven't shared this with you. But um, after mm-hmm. the Alito opinion was leaked, um, the staffers at the distributor, mm. the distrib- distribution company for the audiobook of Tearing Us Apart, more or less revolted. And so the owner and the CEO canceled the contract with the audiobook publisher, Gosh. which then left the publisher um, in the lurch looking for a yeah. new distributor because you have to get the CDs yeah, to right. you know, the stores. But then more importantly, um, what this did was, and we didn't know about this, it was two weeks ago, we noticed all of Amazon's pre-orders were being canceled. And so friends who had pre-ordered the book were saying, hey, I just got an email from Audible yeah. saying it's, you know, and then the, the link on Amazon, the Audible link disappeared. And we were like, oh no, Amazon's canceled. But wait, they have the Kindle still up. They have the hardback. It's not Amazon. So we dug deeper. And when the distributor canceled uh, the contract, that set the chain in uh, uh, the ball kind of in motion for then eventually all of those pre-orders that were pre-ordered through that distributor oh. got canceled. Okay. And until the new distributor gets up and running, it's not even listed on Amazon. Wow. So here it wasn't, you know, I, I want to be clear. It wasn't Amazon that did yeah, this. Okay. It was the distribution company. Um, and so we're going to see this where, mm-hmm. you know, there are different choke points in a supply chain. Yep. And if you have a woke company, and sometimes not even coming from the top, it's the employees and the owner, you know, is almost hostage to you yeah. know, his or her employees. Uh, you know, if it was my company, I would fire the people and say, grow up. Like yeah, we right. distribute books and it doesn't matter the viewpoint <laughs> of the book. Like our business this is, is America. Get, yeah. It's, yeah. Get, you know, it, it's, when Amazon uh, delisted the When Harry Became Sally book, 
you know, I wrote a piece saying, look, it's one thing if a Christian bookstore doesn't want to sell LGBT books or if an LGBT bookstore doesn't want to sell Christian books. It's a whole nother thing for Amazon, which holds itself out as the everything store, yeah. which uh, controls something like 60 to 70 percent of the adult nonfiction book market globally. Right. It's the world's longest, largest commerce store for Amazon to say we're not selling this um, has a chilling effect mm -hmm. because then if you're a publisher. Right. So you're Tom Spence and you're, you're the head of a publishing company and you're thinking through, hmm, if I publish this book and I get blocked out of the world's largest retailer, I have lose access to 60 to 70 percent of the market. I might not make a profit on this book. Yeah. Maybe I should just publish a different book. Right. Yeah, and, and so right. that's the even, that's the problem there. And even, even though Regnery and Tom are totally aligned, that that's that's actually the problem. Yep. Right. And it happened. to I mean, so uh, Regnery was the publisher of Abigail Schreier's book. Right. Target took it down for a while. Uh, various uh, social media companies wouldn't run ads for it's a wonderful book. I encourage yeah. everyone. Uh, her book is irreversible damage uh, really zeroes in on what's going on. High school and college age girls identifying as boys uh, or as non-binary. And it's the phenomenon of rapid onset gender dysphoria. It's just a beautiful yeah. book. Well-researched. There's nothing hateful about no, it. She's and, completely responsible. Yeah. Yeah. But that's how the media uh, and particularly social media, big tech will target these things. Um, and this is where I think conservatives for too long, we've kind of had the attitude of, well, it's a private business. They can do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's true up until a point. And, right. and there's this, you know, this famous line that I love to quote from George Will, the early George Will in his book, Statecraft is Soulcraft, where he says, the four most important words in politics are up to a point. He says, are we in favor of free trade? Yes, up to a point. Are we in favor of, you know, private property? Yes, up to a point. All of our liberties have limits. Mm -hmm. And I think the really hard part and what we need to do as, as thinkers and as leaders is articulate, well, what are the various limits yeah. of our liberties? And so, I mean, a, 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 an example from our earlier discussion, right now there are various religious groups saying, well, look, our religion supports abortion. So right. it's a violation of religious liberty if you don't let us <laughs> to have abortion. Look, religious liberty has limits. Yeah. And one of the clear limits of religious liberty is killing other people. That's right. right. And so, I mean, this isn't even a hard religious liberty case. If, if you say that you're, if you're an Aztec and you say, well, my religion requires human sacrifice, I'm like, I'm sorry, it might be a sincere religious belief. Like, yes, this is a substantial burden. Yep. That's half of the RIFRA test, but you fail the other half. There's a compelling government interest yep. in not letting innocent human lives be slaughtered. And the least restrictive way of doing that is protecting every innocent human life. Right? So yeah. it's, um, uh, you're, you're going to see more and more the necessity of conservatives to be able to articulate what the limiting principles are. Yeah. And that's going to be true, whether it's big tech, whether it's free trade, whatever. Um, and I think for too long, we were in the habit of just being able to articulate the principle mm -hmm. without thinking through well, what about when those different principles come into conflict with each other and how do we balance, you know, we care about this and we care about that. What's the right proportion? Like mm -hmm. what are the right limits to various liberties up to a point of various principles? Um, and I think we got intellectually lazy yeah. in almost doing like a, um, like a talking point version of conservatism where you can, you know, fit it all in a one page document. And That's this is the problem. And you know, we need books and yeah. we need thinking and yeah. 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 And, and that, that intellectual laziness, which has happened across the movement, it, of course feeds into the natural default because of human nature among elected officials, which is as Tocqueville and Burke, many people over the centuries have observed is an utter lack of political courage. I'm not casting stones by saying this. This comes from human nature, but our elected official friends who are pro-lifers would mm -hmm. say this. And therefore, 
people who are watching or listening to this episode need to understand that if they describe themselves as a conservative of whatever stripe, that now is the time, in fact, to lean into this, not yes. to lean away, yes. right? And perhaps the hardest issue up to the last year to do that with has been the transgender right, right. agenda. And of course, you've been eloquent about this. Uh, you have been victimized by the by by that agenda, although you carry on very cheerfully. So thank you for that. But what do you think the future is for conservatives combating that? Because it yeah. seems as if we're on the brink of turning a corner because of the overreach of the other side. Yes. Um a couple of thoughts. One is that it's not going to go away on its own. Yeah. Like, so, so I, I don't think we should be Pollyannish and thinking like, oh, they finally have overreached and, you know, they finally yeah. have, okay. you know, it's, it's now so absurd that the house of cards will fall down. This will only go away if we insist that it goes away, okay. that, that, that we work to make it go away. And I think there, you know, your question was, about, you know, what's the future of conservative engagement on this? We need to know that we can't do it on our own. Okay. We have to be willing to make strategic alliances and, you know, I'm very proud. Heritage has been doing that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm very proud. Two events that I hosted when I was at Heritage. Yes, take some credit where, for where, No, no, I mean, and Heritage gets credit because like, I remember when, you know, my boss and I had to go to the higher ups mm -hmm. to say, this is what we're proposing. And, you know, we were more, we were given permission. But we were also told if it goes poorly, like we're, <laughs> we can't guarantee that we're going to protect you guys. Because, like, I mean, what we did was we invited people who disagree with Heritage Foundation mm -hmm. policies on every other issue except for the transgender issue. Mm -hmm. uh, and, there, you know, there was one lady who spoke who said, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but thank you to the Heritage Foundation for doing for me what no group on the left would do, giving me a platform. Man. Um, and, you know, we had the first lesbian mm -hmm. reinstated to the military after Don't Ask, Don't Tell was lifted, speak to say, my being a lesbian never sterilized a child. My being a lesbian never harmed the uh, bodily integrity of a young person. It never compromised mm -hmm. the rights of women to privacy, to safety, to equality, to fairness in athletics. And so anyway, we, we hosted two different events um, and I encourage, you know, viewers um, and listeners um, to, 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 you know, find those. They're all archived on the Heritage website. Uh, but one was titled Biology Isn't Bigotry. Mm -hmm. um, one was titled, um, I think it was Hands Across the Aisle. And, and, and all, both of the events, they, they featured women on the political left, self-identified kind of like radical uh, feminists who, again, on abortion, they disagree with us, mm -hmm. disagree with me. On marriage, they disagree with me. Um, taxes, trade, farm, a whole host of things. They agreed on this issue uh, and they were willing to partner with us. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that conservatives be willing to partner. We need to be clear-eyed that like, those disagreements don't disappear. We still disagree. Yeah. I think they're wrong. They think I'm wrong. Um, but we agree about what's going on with children, what's going on with female sports, privacy, athletics, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I think we need to be willing to do that. We cannot be allowed um, to be silenced. I think too many conservatives out of fear um, say, I'm going to talk about something non-controversial. Yeah. It's easier to talk about, you know, fill in the blank than it is to talk about what's going on here. I, I was very happy with one of your new scholars, Jay Green, mm -hmm. uh, the research paper he recently did on, you know, th there's this terrible emotional blackmail coercion that parents are being told, would you rather have a living son or a dead daughter? Yep. Um, and you know, yep. Jay looked into this claim and he did the, as know, a social scientist, as a social yeah. scientist, he just, he's a number cruncher. He's a yep. Harvard PhD in number crunching. Like that's his thing. I'm a philosopher. Um, and it's not true. Yep. Uh, and it, it's so important that, you know, uh, conservatives continue to lean into these, uh, issues, not be cowered by the left. Um, and then I'll just say one thing on, you know, EPBC, we have a project on life and family. Mm -hmm. We have a project on big tech. We have a project called the personal identity project that looks at the transgender issue. I see this as like growth opportunities yeah. rather than running away from it. 
we want to lean in to the life and family issue, the big tech issue, um, the gender identity question. And partly because, I mean, for a while, other organizations weren't doing this work. Yeah. I mean, it, people were, we're just going to talk about taxes and trade. We're just going to talk about uh, other issues. Um, now I see like heritage has always been strong on this. IWF is really strong on this. Independent know, women's independent women. Yes. I should we have <laughs> spell out the acronym, acronym on this right? podcast. <laughs> you, you, you tell me that or you very gently suggest different phrasing for my question. So I'm going to wait. No acronyms. Me. Yes. Yeah. The independent women, but doing amazing work. Um, they are. And it's, uh, I guess they, they won one of your innovation prizes recently and ADF Alliance of any freedom has <laughs> always job. been solid. I mean, like, it's great to see uh, so many groups leaning into these issues. Uh, it's one of the things that I actually think the Trump election revealed is that the voters, the citizens care much more about social and cultural right. and moral issues than they do purely about kind of like abstract liberty issues and abstract economic yeah. issues. Those things matter. Like they we shouldn't do. downplay them. Yeah. But for a while, we gave too much emphasis on those issues and not enough to the existential questions. Yeah. I'm a father you know, my existential worries, like, what's the future for my child? Um, and, you know, I live in Loudoun County. Um, I know some of the families who have been victimized mm -hmm. by boys in the girls' bathrooms. Uh, I live a mile from a trailer park. Uh, every day when I come into DC, I drive by the trailer park. Right across the street from the trailer park is the Luckett's Elementary School. Mm -hmm. Those kids, that's their only option. They don't have school choice. Yeah. They, they can't afford to go to a private school. They're, both parents are working. They can't do homeschooling. If Loudoun County Public Schools is imposing CRT, gender ideology, bad bathroom, locker room, sports policy, those kids are having a corrupted uh, culture, right? Yeah. They're, 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 they're the moral ecology, um, you know, leftists like to talk about ecology, the natural ecology. Well, the moral ecology matters too. Mm -hmm. And that motivates what I do. When I, I, was, I drove by it at 625 this morning and, you know, coming to DC early for everything we're doing today. Yep. And that's motivation. Yeah. Those children, those family needs representation uh, in D.C., uh, good policies to, you know, give those kids. And those existential issues, I think, matter more um, than many other issues. Well, they do. And, and what strikes me about your comment and the story about the, the trailer park and the elementary school right across the street or a mile from you is that it reminds me that as conservatives, especially those of us who spend a lot of time on policy, a lot of time on on academic research as you do that that's all important as you said we can't be intellectually lazy but we have to have that we have to have elected officials with the courage but also the 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 policy ammunition if you will to to mm. go write good laws kill bad laws but also this is the key point we have to remember that it's not just about politics it's not just about eloquently written books it's not just about perfectly written bills Ultimately, the reason we do what we do is because of the people. Exactly right. And the more we can talk about that, sort of coming yeah. full circle with the people in the womb, yeah. mothers, fathers, for that matter, the better off we are as a movement and therefore a country. It's exactly right. And it's what motivates, I mean, I know it motivates what you're doing. It's motivating yeah. what I'm doing. It's, it's, it's just vitally important. Yeah. So there are a lot of questions to ask, but one of them that I, I really wanted to get your, your sense of, because we talk about this mm -hmm. informally and privately is about the conservative movement. Yeah. Most people watching or listening consider themselves you know, part of, or maybe an extended family member of the conservative movement. If they don't, they're welcome. That's fine. <laughs> but you and I are certainly movement conservatives. Yep. And we live at a time when it seems as if there's not just tension in the movement. Everyone recognizes that perhaps even fissures, but 
an inflection point, which I hope leads us to a recoherence of the movement. Yeah. Is that what you're sensing? But, but, you know, whether that's yes or no, put some color on that, because I know some, some folks in the audience will be keenly interested in your perspective on that uniquely. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think um, there was a scatter plot right after mm. the 2016 election, and I had shared it on Twitter at the time. And, you know, what it showed was that the blue dots were all in one quadrant, which was yeah. like a socially liberal, fiscally liberal. And then the red dots were evenly spread all on the kind of socially cultural conservative side, but evenly distributed between the more economically liberal and uh, economically conservative, but really um, right around the centrist part, right? Mm -hmm. And so that the electorate was a socially culturally conservative and then economically moderate, you know, and look, it only had two axes so we can dig deeper yeah. and, you know, but to my mind, that's something that I've always kind of thought through is that the American people aren't libertarians. The quadrant that was almost entirely empty was the socially uh, liberal, fiscally conservative quadrant. The one that, you know, so many DC consultants occupy where like, you know, they're bad on life, they're bad on marriage, they're bad on transgender issues, but they want low taxes and free trade. And it's like, so be okay. with us and let us win the next election. Right. Leave us alone, right? Yeah. And, and it's good job, you know, good luck building a winning coalition <laughs> in that quadrant, right? Yeah. This is an unpopular sentiment on K Street, by the way. You know very, that? Yes, very much so. Um, I, I've never been popular uh, with K Street. This is why you're one of my friends. The, the, the issues I work on. Um, but, but, and I think what you saw, what you see with the various fissures, the various disagreements is people saying enough, mm -hmm. right? They, they're frustrated. Uh, they're tired of being paid lip service to. They're tired of politicians being elected, saying socially conservative things, but then not having the courage to do anything about it. I think some of the targets are misguided, right? So they're yeah. setting their sights on, I think some of the wrong uh, uh, organizations, the wrong people, but I think the general sentiment is right. We, we want to have um, a conservative movement that's a both and movement. Yeah, we care about right. economic liberty, but we also care about families and we care about life and we care about moral truths. Mm -hmm. uh, and like for too long, we kind of had this like weird um, uh, uh, value neutrality uh, but there's no such thing as moral neutrality when it comes to law, right? Yeah. Every piece of legislation embodies some moral vision. Um, and so I think it's a healthy um, general dynamic with some outliers. I, I think mm -hmm. some of the participants, um, you know, frequently it's, I, I see some stuff and I'm like, you probably need to go to confession. Like you, you that's like the sin of detraction. That's like the sin of like, you're lying. Like it's a so scandal. Our, our, it's our non-Catholic <laughs> friends. That's a big deal. It is. I mean, <laughs> I think so sometimes um, just because like you're doing it on social media doesn't mean that like the, the rules that govern morality of speech don't apply. Have been right? suspended yeah. for some reason. And yeah. so, but I think in general, like we're going to end up in a better spot because of this. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's a healthy dynamic. Um, this also puts um, uh, uh, the lie to the claim that, you know, conservatives are just ideologues who repeat the same mantra. It's like, no, like we're having a lively intellectual, yes. much more lively debates taking place on the right today than on the left. Yeah. I mean, like they're in lockstep with each. We're thinking um, we're, we're, I, I, I would put it this way. We're not reconsidering our principles. We're thinking through how do we apply those principles in a different era? Like yeah. We're not in the 1980s any longer. And many of the challenges of the 2020s are different than the challenges of the seventies and the eighties. Mm -hmm. We have the same set of principles because morality doesn't change. So the same set of moral truths how do we apply those moral truths to different challenges? Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I think, you know, that's the, to my mind, like the, 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 the seller's market, right? Yeah. If you're selling that, if you're offering some answers to those questions, then, you know, that's the future. Yeah. Uh, and whoever can, you know, get there first, put forward the best uh, answers 
is going to kind of lead the future of the conservative movement. Yeah. Great segue into one of the last two questions I want to ask you. Um, the first is about the Ethics and Public Policy Center that I was going to ask you for people who are in the audience, maybe yep. less familiar with the EPPC than I am. I've been a longtime fan. Great that you're, you're over there leading it. Uh, what, what are the issues you focus on and how are you at your own institution addressing the charge that you just gave the rest of us in the conservative sure. movement? Yeah, so um, EPPC was founded in 1976, so mm -hmm. the bicentennial year, which means it's now 46 years old. Um, everyone uh, who's familiar with it, when I became president, kept telling me it's Washington's best kept secret. Yeah. And I was like, yes, that's the problem. Um, <laughs> we, we need to stop being a, you know, a kept secret. Um, what we've done is exactly what our name suggests. We look at the ethics that mm -hmm. underlie public policy. Uh, and we're explicitly a Judeo-Christian institution, whereas you know most of the other kind of center-right institutions um, at least aren't explicitly uh, uh, theologically mm -hmm. uh, grounded or based. They're more secular. Um, you know, we have a Catholic studies program. We have an evangelicals and civics life program. Um, you know, we've had a Catholic president, a Protestant president, a Jewish president, like it, and incorporating, incorporating those theological traditions. Uh, we think that the First Amendment saying no establishment, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment, which is different than no establishment. Yeah. But uh, um, I think it's a jurisdictional federalist provision, but mm -hmm. we can talk about that later. Uh, and the free exercise of religion is not a, a separation of religion from public life or morality from law. Mm -hmm. We think that's a mistake, right? I mean, the, the founders wanted to have an institutional separation of the jurisdiction of the church and the jurisdiction of the government. Like that's a, a, a healthy separation, but they didn't want to separate religion from public life or morality from law. And so EPPC works to actually show how those things should be properly influenced uh, yeah. with each other. Um, we have a program in the courts, the constitution, the culture that Ed Whalen runs, George Weigel runs our constitution, uh, our, our Catholic studies program, uh, Carl Truman, Andrew Walker, Brad Littlejohn are doing some of the work in the evangelicals program. Um, we started an HHS accountability project. And then a year later, you stole Roger Severino from us on a we, we have him on a part-time basis. You have a, no, I think it's, it was. Okay, I'm all right. If, if I were you, I would have stolen him too. Um, Roger's the right guy to be heading yeah, domestic policy at Heritage right now. But you know, you. the program continues. He's now serving in an advisory capacity mm -hmm. uh, at EPPC, kind of overseeing the project. But you know, we're staffing up with others. And the reason there is that HHS controls, I think it's like one-sixth of the federal budget. Yeah. Um, and so many of the problems that we saw during the Obama years were originating in the Department of Health and Human Services. Mm -hmm. Roger served for four years as the head of civil rights at HHS during the Trump administration. And then, you know, he was my first hire. I started February one. Roger was hired February three. We got the project up and running because already you can see whether it's on life, whether it's on transgender issues, whether religious liberty issues, COVID stuff, which we weren't expecting. I mean, yeah. like it's huge and it's important that you have a watchdog group there. Uh, we're doing work on transgender issues. We're doing work on education and American ideals. Um, Stanley Kurtz has testified all across the country in state houses on some of the CRT bills, yeah. um, uh, ways of, you know, protecting academic freedom while avoiding indoctrination. And, and we want both of those things. Again, yeah. it's a both. And uh, Henry Olson's thinking through kind of a future fusionism that would include mm -hmm. both um, 1980s style conservatism and more populism. And, and I mean, he would even argue that 1980s style conservatism isn't the hagiography of what we think today, that right. Reagan was more of a working class blue collar Republican yeah. than, you know, the bow tying wearing libertarians would suggest. Henry and, is so sharp. I yes. mean, everyone you mentioned is they're all tremendous. It's a wonderful leaders, but institution gotta, to now, you yeah. know, get, almost everyone was already there. Like I inherited yeah. this is like wealth of talent. Mm -hmm. um, and it's um, my job now is to, you know, kind of like, 
take it to the next level, yeah. rejuvenate. Uh, many of those scholars are very senior scholars. And so thinking through, you know, what's the next generation uh, look like? Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's what we're doing. Yeah, good. Yeah. And is the website appc.org? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I've gone to it for many years. <laughs> Last question. Yep. And it is uh, usually, I usually ask people about why they're optimistic about the future. I, I kind of know that. <laughs> what what I, I want to do is sort of riff off of that hmm. and ask you, to preview what I hope will be part two of this conversation out in the woods with the Blue Ridge Mountains or the foothills yeah, of the Blue yeah, Hills back yeah. there, we can be in our jeans and respective boots. What's the advice do you give to audience members hmm. of a decidedly younger audience about living the good life? Oh, great. Um, God and family come first. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I just think get your priorities right. Mm -hmm. um, your job, your professional vocation is not the totality mm -hmm. of your vocation. Uh, relationship with God, relationship with spouse, relationship with children. You got to prior before relationship with boss or relationship mm -hmm. with employees, right? I mean, depending on where you are uh, in that um, uh, kind of like pecking order. But um, in terms of living the good life, like you, if you're not deliberate about family life and about religious life, those are the things that get crowded out, mm -hmm. right? Because your boss is going to be deliberate about, you know, you have deadlines, you have mm -hmm. to get stuff done. And so, and then too much of our culture finds self-worth with, you know, what am I producing? What am I doing that's marketable? What am that's I right. doing that, um, you know, I can tweet about in terms of like, I wrote this paper or I testified or, you know, I closed this deal or my bank account, whatever. Uh, whereas the things that you're going to care about um, when you're lying on your deathbed, it's not going to be um, most of your professional successes. Some of it you will. I mean, especially sure. if, if you have a good professional life, you're going to say, yeah, like the work that I did mattered, but the stuff you're really going to care about is like, what was my family life like? Yeah. And what was my relationship like with God when you're about to pass and meet your maker? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I would say, um, you know, we ran into each other this morning at 8 a.m. mass at St. Joe's on Capitol Hill. I mean, like that's that's important. Mm -hmm. um, making sure you have time uh, for the relationship with your wife, uh, female listeners, for your husband, uh, for your kids. Uh, we used to live a block from Heritage and I used to have a two minute walk to work. And the year before the pandemic, we moved out to the middle of nowhere um, you know, right where Virginia, Maryland, and West Virginia come together. And all of a sudden I had a two hour, uh, yeah. each way commute. Um, but we did it for quality of life for the kids. Yeah. Once, uh, our firstborn, we were living in an alley, uh, like an extra row of homes in the alley, a block from here. And once he started moving, you know, he could crawl. There's no yard. There's no, yeah. not enough. Room. And rather than baby stepping like moving out to this suburb and then that suburb, <laughs> we just went whole hog. Uh, and now we have hogs. I mean, so now, I mean, we have, we're raising goats, sheep, chickens, pigs, ducks, and rabbits. We have a down payment on a cow that we're getting in September. A down payment on a cow. <laughs> That's a sign about inflation in Biden's economy. Yeah, unfortunately. And, um, and I mean, we're losing money on all those animals. Eventually. <laughs> That's not the point, right? Exactly. Eventually we'll break even. But yeah. I mean, the point is one to, you know, just, uh, it, it tastes a lot better when it it's locally sourced, but two, it, it's, it's the quality of life. Like it's, we want our kids, you know, our son will be four in August. He wakes up with the sunrise right now, which is really annoying, but he gets out of his bed. He comes into our bed. He's like, I'm ready to help with chores. Good. And he goes out at like six in the morning to feed the animals, to fill up the water buckets. And it's just a great way. It's not for everyone. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in Baltimore city. I would not be doing this if not for my wife, uh, but I love it. And, yeah. and it. and it showed me like a whole other side. I'm still afraid of dogs. I was bit uh, by a mm -hmm. dog when I was young, never got over it my kids lick the dog, they kiss the dog, they <laughs> wrestle with it. And, you know, they're all still in diapers, right? And it's yeah. the type of thing where um, I see in them, like, that's what I want. Yeah. Like, I, I like this. Um, what a so, wonderful yeah. answer. So 
I won't make you commit to this on air, but let's do part two. Okay. Yeah. On location. Yeah. Yo, you guys have come out. The Daily okay. Signal podcast came out uh, almost a year ago. It was yeah. great. Yeah. Okay. I would love to do a part two on location. Sounds Bring your good. family. Yeah. We will. Yes. Yeah. You, you might regret that. No, not at all. Well, Ryan Anderson, thanks for being a great American. Thank you. You bet. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Obviously, we're going to be talking to Dr. Anderson again, and uh, we probably won't have neckties on. So thanks for making the show possible. Until next time, take care. Yeah.